of one are not the trials of another. The duties that one finds light are to another most difficult and perplexing. So frail, so ignorant, so liable to misconception is human nature that each should be careful in the estimate he places upon another. This grieves me to see the estimate that some place upon others. But if they'd only stop and think that in many, many ways they may look worse to God and be worse in God's sight than the one that they lowly esteem, the grievous thing, we little know the bearing of our acts upon the experience of others. What we do or say may seem to us of little moment when could our eyes be opened, we should see that upon it depended the most important results for good or evil. Oh, if we could only realize this, if we could only carry this realization around with us all the time, from early till late and through our sleeping hours, to become a part of us when we realize this and talk to God about it, discuss it with the Lord, ask the Lord to help us to experience this. I'll read you one more statement. This is in page 485. We cannot afford to let our spirits chafe over any real or supposed wrong done to ourselves. Most wrongs done to us are supposed wrongs anyway. They're not very real. Well, we're either hypersensitive or deaf like I'm getting and don't hear things straight. Maybe blind like I'm getting and don't see things straight. You see? And then we blame the other fellow. Self is the enemy we most need to fear. No form of vice has a more baleful effect upon the character. Now think of this. This is a superlative statement. No form of vice. Now let your mind take that in. No form of vice. That takes it a fearful range of vices, right? No form of vice, folks. This is hard to believe, hard to assimilate. You must take this by faith now. No form of vice has a more baleful effect upon the character than has human passion not under the control of the Holy Spirit. All of you remember this. So any time that you see somebody in a terrible vice, think of your own temper, think of your own disposition. It's worse. No other victory we can gain will be so precious as the victory gained over self. If you go away from here with no other victory and nothing else in your heads and nothing else in your heart, then that has been worth the $15,000 for you alone. You realize it? For you alone. And it's up to you to get that victory. I can't give it to you. You can't give it to me. But there's one who'd give it to all of us. If we take heed, we should not allow our feelings to be easily wounded. Well, I've had people tell me I'm just like an elephant. And my wife tells me, no, that I've got some spots for and not like an elephant. That's true, do I know that. But mostly my epidermis is pretty thick. Forty years has thickened it up. And I tell you, it's hard to, hard to get anything through it. But there are some spots, and I don't like them either. I'm working on them. Sort of like an Achilles heel, you know. Achilles was uh, invulnerable. 
to everything except that one spot on his heel. That's where the arrow hit him and killed him. And that's what will happen to us. We may be strong. We may not be sensitive. We may have a lot of good equipment. But we got that one little plague spot. That's going to get us, folks. It's sure going to get us. That's self. That's the thing that God's got us here to work on it for. And I gave you all fair warning. It might get pretty rough before it's over. I said the going might get pretty rough. I don't know. I don't intend to be rough. I don't want anybody to be rough with me, and I don't want to be rough with anybody. But maybe God will have to be rough with us all. I don't know. I really don't know. I told my wife, I just don't know. Self is the enemy we most need to fear. Oh, I read that. We should not allow our feelings to be easily wounded. We are to live not to guard our feelings or our reputation, but to save souls. Here's what they are. To oppose apart our reputation to save souls. Who are we going to save? Save ourselves. Save our reputation. Right? What's natural? To care about this or to care about this? You all know. Every one of you know. Brother Murphy doesn't know. Right? <laughs> no, Brother Murphy knows too. All the saints know. Everyone knows what this is. Now, what God wants us to do? He wants us to get to the place where self is gone, submerged in Christ. And what stands out? Our concern for whom? Our concern for Christ. That means our concern for souls. For whom did he die? Did he die to justify self? So you see what God is, is trying to get us to see that this over here has got to fade out. And that's why the message today is the antitype of John the Baptist. John was over here. What happened to him? And, and then who stood out? Who? Who alone? Christ. What did John say? I must increase. Now, folks, this is what we've come to. And only those who are capable of doing this by faith, through grace, are going to be among the 144,000. I don't care how long we've been in the message, who we are, we've got to come to this. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Yes. Whatever others may think of us or do to us, it need not disturb our oneness with Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit. And there's a lot more there that I wish that you folks would read. And that occasions this remark. I've got a thousand references here, I suppose. This brother's been typing them for weeks, and his mother and my wife and others. I won't read them all. I may read, I may read 1% of them. I may read a quarter percent of them. I may not even read that many. And then... And then there's a thousand more beyond all of these that we all ought to be assimilating. And I've asked myself over and over and over, how do I have time for anything else? How can I afford to look at TV, listen to radio, read magazines, go places, do things, entertain myself? How can I afford to do it when I don't know what's here? I don't know what's there. I don't know what's here. I don't know anything. And I've been at it 40 years, more than five years, 45 years. And I don't know it. I haven't assimilated it.
I couldn't, I couldn't begin to put my hands on all of these references, my fingers. The Lord would have to pull them out and give them to me. You know what this tells me? This tells me that I've got my work cut out for me in the few days I have remaining in this world. I've got to cut out for me. I've got to clean the deck, clear it. You know, the little time I have, I've got to concentrate on getting all the truth I can get into my heart. For that's the only thing that will save me is the truth. There is nothing else. You know why? What is in the truth? God's holy, educating spirit is in his truth. What else is in the truth? Let me read to you what this book here says. On page 122, Ministry of Healing. I have this reference, but I can do it quicker here. 122. Listen to this. With all the promises of God's word in them, he is speaking to us individually, speaking as directly as if we could listen to his voice. Hard to believe. In these promises, it is in these promises that Christ communicates to us his grace and power. It is in these promises, not outside of them, not when the Holy Spirit taps us on the head as an old brother in the early days and the message told us. The Holy Spirit tapped him on the head and it ran down his back. He could feel it in his spine. And a lot of folks still get the Holy Spirit that same way, you know. They get a feeling that that's not anything to do with the Holy Spirit. God's holy educating spirit is where? In his word. In his word. Where's the grace? In his promises, in his word, in the truth. That's all that's going to save us. Now, how can I get, be saved if I if I lightly esteem all that God's given me? You say, oh, it's too much. It's a terrible lot, I know. But if I've been making the most of my time since I've been an Adventist and a Davidian, I'd have a lot more of it in me. Yeah, I have made the most of my time. I hope you have. I have some regrets. I've studied pretty hard, too, but not nearly hard enough. Wearied too often when I should not have. A lot of other things of minor importance to come in and should not have. Made mistakes I should not have because I failed to do what God bid me to do. I hope none of the rest of you have done anything like that. Now I want to read you three passages here. First I'd ask you, were you hungry when you got here? Not to, here tonight, but were you hungry when you got here to Bashan, any of you? Yes. Somebody said yes. And what if you had not had any food? What if what if we put you on a fast? You say, well, you almost got us on a fast with two meals a day. <laughs> well, that'll do you good. That'll be the best thing for you ever had happen. That's what God says, not I. But I think that if you hadn't had any food and you had no prospect of having any food, that you'd get pretty unhappy about it all. You think God might be hungry? For fruit. The Lord God of Israel is hungry for fruit. Think of that. Keeping God hungry. Got him starving. Starving to see the results of the blood shed on Calvary. Can't see very much. He's hungry for fruit. He calls upon his workers to branch out more than they are doing. Oh, how it pains me when I see how little we are doing. 
how little we are doing. When I know what we could be doing, we've got a thousand promises, more than that. And every promise is gilt edge. It has the blood of Christ right around it. Yet we don't value them. We, we don't take them to the Lord and cash in on them at all. Where's the righteousness of Christ and that sort of thing? I don't know how God's going to help us. If he doesn't help us here now, we drag on another two years. A lot of us won't be back, or at least some of us won't be back. It's been that way every single time. Was that way every year at Carmel? It's been that way every time we've had a meeting. Some never come back. Some go on the long journey and some leave the ranks. Calls upon his workers to branch out more than they are doing. He desires them to make the world their field of labor rather than to work alone for ourselves. Now, when we say to make the world a field of labor, we have to keep this in the context of the message. In the framework of the message. And you know what the message tells us. That we must confine our labors for the present time until the purification to the church. Well, why confine them to the church? Amen. Is the church made up of people that are better than the folk in the world? No. Well, then why confine our labors to the church when they're dying out in the world? This is what the church asks us. Why should we confine our labors to Laodicea and not go to Babylon. Why? One, one, one statement I read from Sister White, she said the Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth because of those who were once converted and backslidden and those who never was converted. Right. She said, what influence would these unconsecrated members have on new believers? Well, then who's in the most danger? Church. Well, who's in the most immediate danger? Church. Where is the purification to start? Judgment is to begin where? Now, this isn't something that you pulled out of a hat or sucked out of your thumb, as we say, or reached into thin air and brought out. This is what the Bible says. The judgment must begin at the house of God. And if you believe the Bible, if you believe his promises, you believe his word, then this ought to be a goad. If judgment begins at the house of God, it's going to begin with you. You, you and yours, and your 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 brethren. Then what should you do? It certainly ought to make us bestir ourselves, just as this says. Remember what it said? Yes. He calls upon his workers to branch out more than they are doing. He's hungry for fruit. He says, now branch out. Well, fruit comes on a branch. If you branch out, you're going to have a great branch of the work going. There will be a lot of fruit as a result on this branch, this branching out. But if you won't branch out, you're not going to get much fruit. You can see that. Now, when we first came here, the first, the second year, I tried to get in some fruit trees. I just had the, the boys, Andy was a little fellow, and Trevor was about his age and Jerry in between, and they'd learned to work. And They got out there and dug out those rocks and put them in the few fruit trees that we had. Well, they didn't fare too well for various reasons, and so we never got very much fruit from them. Now, if I'd have been content to leave just that way, I heard voices saying, why plant trees around this place? 
voice is still saying why plant trees around here, but I keep on planting trees. So now we got about a hundred and odd trees, maybe 150 trees. I don't know just how many. And next year we're going to have plenty of fruit. We didn't have much this year because we had a bad winter. What? What if I left it that way? Wouldn't have any fruit at all. Now what if we leave it the way it is? Don't have any fruit? But what if you make the branch great? What if you extend the branch way out? What's bound to be on it? Yeah, if you're abiding in Christ and he in you, then what's going to come on the branch? Well, let me illustrate this. And I illustrate it this way, not to glorify anybody or to commend anybody. Well, I may commend them, but I'm certainly not going to praise them and, and exalt them. We had no work going in Trinidad for years. The work that was done over there 25 years ago just about dwindled away. And uh, I stopped there occasionally, but we didn't accomplish very much. The brethren that were there were old, and they weren't accomplishing a whole lot. But the Lord had a group of young people over there that had a potentiality in them. We didn't know a thing about them. Not a thing. Oh, we had heard from Brother Simmons indirectly there was some agitation of the message in Trinidad. We didn't know what it was. We knew it wasn't the two or three older ones that we were in contact with. Brother Simmons didn't know. So when I got to St. Lucia, he told me a little bit more about it. And I went on to Grenada, tried to put a little fire there. And when I was in Grenada, I got a message from my wife that there was a group of young people in Trinidad and they wanted to know more, something like that. Well, I sent a telegram to this brother right here and he wasn't there to get the telegram. He was somewhere else, so that didn't do any good. I don't know just how it came out, but finally I, we got there, met the brethren, and they had lots of questions and problems and so on, and the devils worked hard, and he's still working hard in Trinidad. But we've got a branch in Trinidad, and from that branch has some fruit. Some fruits dropped off. That'll happen on most trees. I've never seen a tree yet that maybe one or two little old Weasened up ones won't drop off. So some have dropped off of this branch. But some haven't dropped off, praise God. Then some good fruit on this branch. You become a missionary center. That's what God said. Extend it. Extend the branch of your work, you see. Now, that's the only way that we can give God some fruit. No other way. Um, I have a critic. And this critic keeps telling me, why don't you get some young people into the field? I say, yeah, that's what I want to see. To get them here and train them. That's what I want to do. But I can't make them. And when we were at Carmel, Brother Holly said, well, I guess we're going to have to make them. So they got busy and made them. They aren't with us. Most all of them are gone. Oh, you got to convert them. Converts don't come easy to truth. Not easy at all. It's remarkable and phenomenal the way the Lord was able uh, to get some fruit in Trinidad. Now, what if they'd all been self-interested? and said, no, let us put a little wall about Trinidad and keep the money here and get us a car and work for ourselves and 
Go on. Not a one of them would be here tonight. And they wouldn't have gone anywhere else. Now we got one that has been in the Barbados and St. Lucia and Guyana and Tobago. We got another working in, in Tobago now and been in Grenada. And yeah, they're here tonight because of what happened in Trinidad. But there are a lot of them that are not here tonight. Well, they, they got a vision and they got a burden to do something. They're far from being perfect. They have their problems. They have their problems. And they'll continue to have their problems. We'll all have our problems. The point is that they're transcending the problems and pressing on anyway. Now, this is what you need to do in New York. And I'm not saying that you haven't, because some of you have been working there. As a result of that, there are some of you here tonight. And in California, you need to work. Now, I'm not saying you haven't, because there are some of you here. You wouldn't be here if some hadn't been working, right? True. But I'm not satisfied. And if I'm not satisfied, what about God? He's hungry. Hungry for fruit. And every one of you are part of this branch. Bear fruit. That's what God wants. Now, if you won't bear fruit, well, what will God do? Cut you off. That's what he has to do. He's not trying to put fear into you that he's not going to get the kind of service that God wants. But this is what he's going to have to do sooner or later. Now, I have a tree out in our front lawn here that died. Why it died, I don't know. I have my suspicions, but I, I'm not sure why it died. A four-year-old tree died. Just right up and died like that. I went out one morning, and the leaves were beginning to dry up. And I saw a few green ones. I began to pray. But the Lord didn't see fit to keep them green. They all died. A nice tree. This is what happened to us all. I got to pull that tree out. Not because I'm vindictive, because I'm mad at the tree or anything. I got to get rid of it. It's cumbering the ground. This is what God got to do with us. If we cumber the ground. And two more cards. The science of salvation is to be the burden of every sermon. And I'll, I'll venture you that you haven't one time in your Seventh-day Adventist lives heard a minister step up and read this statement and say, Brethren, you're going to listen to a sermon on the science of salvation. You're going to listen to two sermons in a row. You're going to listen to three in a row, four in a row, ten in a row. 15 in a row, 20 in a row, 25. That's what you're going to hear here. 25 sermons in a row, studies in a row on the science of salvation. One subject. What does it say? The science of salvation is to be the burden of every sermon. The theme of every song. Let it be poured forth in every supplication. No, well, there must be something in this. You think? Give us your reference Yes, this is the Evangelism, 502, paragraph 1. The science of salvation is what we're going to study. Four times a day, three times a day. And then we'll have a question and answer study at night. If there's any question and answers, the box is inside the office, sitting right on the counter. I won't answer any questions that come from the, from the floor. Only questions that go into the box. Let us, with contrite hearts, pray most earnestly that now, 
in the time of the latter rain, the showers of grace may fall upon us. What do we need? Showers of grace to really penetrate. At every meeting we attend, our prayers should ascend that at this very time, God will impart warmth and moisture to our souls. This is what we need. Daniel realized that this is what he needed and what his people needed. So he confessed his sins and confessed theirs. What did God do? And Ezra realized this. Now, if we realize this here, back at home, then God will fulfill his part of the promise. As we seek God for the Holy Spirit, it will work in us meekness, humbleness of mind, make us unassuming, a conscious dependence upon God. This is the most important thing of all. A conscious dependence upon God. Brother, sister, if you can come to this point tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow noon, if you can achieve this great triumph, to have a conscious dependence upon God, everything else will come. Well, you know what this means? That the Holy Spirit has your mind. And in the train of the Holy Spirit comes what? Every other blessing. Right? That's what God tells you. you see? So you can develop this conscious dependence upon God. Not be forgetful. Keep your mind uplifted to God. Oriented that way. Your thoughts flowing that way. Praising God. Thinking upon these things. In the state of prayer. Praying without ceasing. Then you got it made. Not that you're going to do anything. But the Holy Spirit's going to do something. And he's going to surprise you. And what he may lead you to do. I again, I, I say. It may be pretty rough going. And it will work in us. Meekness. Humbleness of mind, a conscious dependence upon God for the perfecting latter race. If we pray for the blessing in faith, we shall receive it as God has promised. Now let us do it. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.bashanhill.org and you can call us at 417-835-2162.